This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wangal clan of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to the elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, diep flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi and welcome back to Rewritten Me. My name's Luana and I have a history of breast cancer and reconstruction and I'm an advocate for informed and shared decision making when deciding what reconstruction to have after a mastectomy. When I talk about the Rewritten Me podcast and the work that I do, I'm guilty of talking about breast reconstruction. It's a podcast about breast reconstruction. I'm an advocate for breast reconstruction because it's quicker to say that when I'm introducing myself for the podcast. But Rewritten Me and my work is broader, as it's about all reconstruction options after a mastectomy. And that includes choosing to go flat, to have no breast reconstructed, or to have an aesthetic flap closure, which is what the National Cancer Institute defines as a type of surgery that is done to rebuild the shape of the chest wall after one or both breasts are removed. So I'm honoured to be joined by Robin Smith today, who is a passionate advocate for informed decision-making, and in particular, ensuring that aesthetic flap closure, or AFC we might call it for ease, is discussed as part of that decision-making. Robin is the programmes manager at Pink Hope, a charity supporting people with hereditary cancer risk. She has a background in finance and health promotion and previously worked at the Heart Foundation, focusing on preventative health campaigns and health professional education programmes. Robin is a keen advocate for patients making informed decisions about managing their cancer risk, and she lives flat after a risk-reducing mastectomy in 2019. And she is part of a research team focusing on women's choices around going flat after a mastectomy and research investigating adverse events related to breast implants. So I'm very excited that we have this opportunity to talk to her and hear more about the work that's being done in Australia to raise awareness of aesthetic flat closure and hear more about the lived experience of those who choose to go flat. So hi Robin, how are you? Hello, thanks for having me this afternoon. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining us. I am really, I am really excited to have you on. I know we've been, we talk about aesthetic flat closure um, in lots of different ways, but it's just great to have you on the podcast. And I couldn't finish, I couldn't finish season one without talking about all options, which includes flat closure. So thank you for joining us today. 
No, thanks for having me. I must admit, I'm yeah, I'm a little bit chuffed, feeling a little bit privileged uh, to to be on this podcast. And I should also mention that I'm coming from Ngunnawal country in Canberra. So, okay, yes, thank you, and thank you for acknowledging that. And the privilege is really all all mine and the listeners because they're getting to hear the amazing work that you're doing um, as an advocate for flat closure and for choosing to go flat. Um, but I thought before we get to talking about what it is that you're doing, maybe we could just talk a little bit about your story and how you have arrived at where you're at. So um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit about the work you're doing at Pink Hope as a programs manager? You know, what does that entail and, and why are you doing that work? What is hereditary cancer risk? Mm. Great question. So, yeah, I um, originally started as part of the Pink Hope community about 10 years ago when I found out I carried a gene mutation that put me at risk of of cancer. So it's the BRCA2 gene mutation. And it kind of, um, depending on your personal circumstances, can give you kind of up to about a 60-70% for BRCA2 um, risk of breast cancer and then kind of about a 20% risk of lifetime risk of an ovarian cancer diagnosis. So, but obviously that affects men as well. And so I joined the community about 10 years ago when I found out. And then probably 18 months ago, um, I was kind of, uh, I'd taken a redundancy actually from my job. And um, yeah, this role popped up and I thought, oh, this is just perfect for me. Get to, um, you know, work in something I'm passionate about and also have kind of, you know, the qualifications for. So. Yeah. So we support, uh, educate and advocate for people that are at high risk. So it'll be people that mm-hmm. carry, like me, a BRCA mutation, um, CHECK2 mutation, PALB2, ATM. There's heaps of heaps of different mutations out there. And we mostly work in the breast ovarian kind of prostate space. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the different times, types of genetic variants that are there. What I found interesting is, you know, first, as you said, there, there, there are a lot and it's evolving all the time. So that's why your work is really important, isn't it? Keeping a breath. I wanted to say a breath, yeah. but it sounds like a pun. I don't mean that. But, you know, keeping up to date with that is a real challenge. It is because it, it is. It's changing. And, you know, the cancer plan came out the other day and there's so much talk of, talk of genetics and genomics and polygenic risk scores and all this exciting stuff. And, you know, we know that those, those um, mutations I mentioned are but a few of the mutations that are out there and, you know, they're the ones that have been identified, but we know that lots of other cancers are are driven by hereditary factors. Mm -hmm. We just haven't identified the genes yet. I mean, I say we like I'm doing it, but (laughs) I'm going to... In the collective (laughs) Yeah. And I did did forget to mention we also support people that are at high risk of cancer. So just have a really strong family history of cancer. Yeah, and I found that really, uh, really interesting as well, because there is, you know, a high risk, isn't there, in some families, and they may not necessarily be a known genetic variant at this this time. Yeah. So that's a really important part of your work, isn't it? If, if you haven't tested with a genetic variant, but you have a high risk, Pink Hope's still a place that can support yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for explaining that, uh, Robin. Amazing work that to, that you do there. So, so as part of the introduction, I mentioned there that you have uh, chosen to go flat after a mastectomy. So how did hereditary cancer risk play a part in your decision to have a mastectomy? And 
what were your what was your decision making process initially um so I guess um my grandma passed away of breast cancer at 49 which was pretty pretty young and I never met her actually and my mum also got ovarian cancer had an ovarian cancer diagnosis at 59 and through that they went oh gee maybe you know you've got a family history here we should maybe think about some genetic testing so she undertook some genetic testing and came back that she was positive um, for a bracket two mutation and which was kind of loosely a silver lining a little bit good for her with ovarian cancer because it made um different treatments available to her um which is probably one of the few silver linings of you know a BRCA diagnosis but Mm. yeah and then also it obviously gave me the knowledge that I was now at high risk so you know based on my mum and my grandma I was like right mum guess I'm going to have to follow the recommendations, which for a BRCA2 person is sort of remove your breasts by 40 and then remove mm-hmm. your tubes and ovaries by 45. So I don't know, I guess I was 33 when I found out and, mm-hmm. you know, mum had cancer and we were kind of going through all that and I was, you know, pregnant at the time and just went, oh, yeah, I'll breastfeed and we'll finish our family. And then I just knew by kind of 40 I had to have this mastectomy and, at 39 and about nine months, I went in and had my mastectomy. And um, initially, as you kind of alluded to a little bit, I did reconstruct with breast implants. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess we'll probably talk about it a little bit more later. But, yeah, the, the decision I made, I guess, was initially based on the chat I had with my surgeon at the time who was lovely mm-hmm. And she said, I can do a flat closure or I can do a reconstruction for you with implants. Those were the two options for me and what she could do. And she said, I'm not going to try and sway your decision either way. Um, and I was like, oh, geez, what do I do? And she said, oh, there, there was this one study that talked about women, um, their mental health outcomes being better after a mastectomy if they woke up with some kind of breast mould or breast mound. Mm. And so mm. I thought, oh, all right, I better do that because I don't want to have bad bad mental health outcomes. So I'll just do that. And I didn't I didn't really place too much more thought in it. I just went, okay, got to do that. I'll do that. Yeah. And kind of yeah. off I went and did it. Kind of yeah, what three months later, I guess um, it was actually three months after my mum passed away that I had my mastectomy. So it was kind of nice. Because initially she was like, oh, that's such a big surgery and a big thing to have. I don't, you know, maybe you should just screen. And then the end mm-hmm. she was like, I'm dying of cancer. Have the surgery. Don't don't yeah. screen. Have the surgery. Yeah. So yeah. it was nice that she passed away knowing that I was doing something to prevent cancer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, you'd, that you'd taken on board what she'd said and you were moving forward with that decision to, to do that and, I think it is a big decision, isn't it? It's a different type of decision than if you've had a diagnosis mm. to have a preventative risk-reducing mastectomy. It really is because um, I'll I'll never know. And I'm definitely not trying to take away from anyone that's had a breast cancer diagnosis. I absolutely, mm. you know, that's way worse than what I'm kind of going or I went through. But I definitely was like, oh, I'm just never going to know if I was going to get cancer or if I was not, not going to get cancer. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a mind it's, trick. Yeah, 
it's 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 just different isn't it it's a mm. different decision dynamic I kind of want to say and, and well you know we do hear lots of stats when we've got a breast cancer diagnosis and similarly you're working with stats you need to educate yourself around all that don't you to make those decisions as you said you know the you know the advice was under the age of 40 to have have that done and um yeah I think it's just very different a very different decision dynamic if we want to if we want to call it that and and as you said you, you'd had implants initially largely I want to look after my mental health and this is what the studies are showing me because I know you're keen on research and, yes. and evidence-based. I am a data nerd indeed, yes. <laughs> you are, and I love it. I love it so much that you are. Um, so you had implants initially and um, how did that go for you? Yeah, um, look, it wasn't ideal for me and um, mm. I, I absolutely appreciate that everyone's different and kind of I don't know. I only had implants in for 13 months because I just had so many health issues after I got them in. And mm. um, just after the surgery, I was just so so foggy and so tired constantly. And, you know, then my hair started to fall out and I was diagnosed with lupus and my autoimmune markers went through the roof and had mm. joint pain. And the, the thing for me, I'm, I'm a big um, runner and I run kind of most days. And when it got to the point when I was like, oh, I can't even – you know I had to have rest days and that was kind of right. quite unusual mm. I kept getting you know my bloods checked and going back to surgeons and doctors saying what's going on and like I had a brain scan at one time because of my memory loss like one day I couldn't Gosh. remember which toothbrush was mine um so it was pretty oh, it was a pretty horrendous time and I just I didn't know you know no one said to me oh by the way this might happen however mm. retrospectively now I look at it and I think oh there's information about you know what what is termed breast implant illness kind mm. of everywhere now mm. which is great but yeah at the time when I was going through it it was um actually my brother that sent me an article from uh, um it was about an influencer who had removed her breast implants because she was feeling a lot of the same symptoms that I was um, you know, experiencing, and my brother sent it to me, which was quite unusual, you know, for my brother to send me like this big-breasted woman <laughs> this article, and he was like, "This sounds like you," and yeah. I just went, "Oh, it does." Yeah! Wow! Yeah. How wonderful that your brother was looking out for you it like that. Nice. That yeah, and that she'd shared that story because we're I know we we'll probably talk about it a little bit more about sharing stories and how that can give. Uh, in, inform other people who are going through similar um, experiences in lots of in different ways so that's it's really you know interesting that you talk about those really life impacting side effects that you were getting because we often talk about quality of life um, reconstruction is about quality of life that's right for you after your mastectomy but obviously that wasn't you weren't getting your quality of life if you're you know it's really impacting things that you love doing and that must have been quite scary to then have those scans with your hereditary cancer history mm. as well yeah definitely made me think am I going crazy what's going on in my head mm. and this is when like my mental health which ironically kind of went a bit downhill because I was going yeah. I'm feeling all these things and you know, health professionals were going, oh, no, no, you're, like, totally fine. And I was yeah, feeling, I, I said to my partner, I was like, I just feel like I could walk out, go for a walk, fall down on the pavement, and paramedics would come and pick me up and go, what is wrong with this woman? Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it may sound really dramatic, but I just felt 
horrendous and I know it's 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 happening to other women out there and however it's not happening to plenty of others so that was my experience yeah yeah and it's yeah absolutely it happens to some and not to all it's like with all our experiences they're very individual aren't they but you knew that that wasn't that wasn't you Mm. that, that something wasn't right for you and then your brother sends you the article and that kind of opens up this other possibility of what it could be so what did you do then after reading that article yeah I think as you say the thing with me was I was lucky to go well all these things started after I had the mastectomy and implants put in so I just was like well I've got to get these out Mm. and that's what I looked into so because I thought oh I didn't do I thought, oh, maybe this has happened because I didn't do enough research into it initially. So I thought, oh, if I'm going to explant, I'll get lots of opinions and and do it the right way and be really researched. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that helped or not. But <laughs> in my in my search for an explant surgeon, I did find a, a plastics guy um, in a capital city in Australia who um, – was kind enough to tell me how aesthetically unpleasing I would look if I removed my implants and went flat. So I guess um, that that wasn't ideal and it really, I was just like, wow, I really wished you were focused more on my health than how I was going to look. Mm. Um, So I was a bit disappointed in that. However, I just was like, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else and get them Mm. removed. And I ended up going Mm. back to my initial breast surgeon who was amazing and she's really supportive Mm. and, you know, had then, you know, done some research into BII and looked around and was surprised to find that, you know, particularly in the US, there were so many um, groups and women who were mm. kind of trying to raise, raise awareness for BII and what was mm. going on with some people in the community. So she was very supportive and I was able to, right at the beginning of COVID, nip in and get my implants removed and, and got yeah, my flat closure. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And before we talk about fat closure though I just wanted to say I'm really sorry that that was said to you I I I do understand that certain surgeons work in certain areas that the cosmetic um, outcome is primary but I, mm. I guess as having that comment made to you it's very kind of um yeah aesthetically unpleasing is a very male gaze I feel Mm. judgment comment Um, and as you said you know prioritizing that over your health that's that must have been hard to sit in a room I was shocked I was shocked and I was doing a telehealth consult it was over the phone and I remember writing it down because he said it twice to me (laughs) I was like make to make sure you got the point (laughs) just in case I didn't hear it the first time and what was interesting I thought oh well I just you're never going to see my chest mate Mm. so what does it matter to you Mm. (laughs) but I guess as a as a plastic surgeon that's what yeah I was was just disappointed that it wasn't health Mm. first looks later and you know Mm. I had so many health issues that I was kind Mm. of describing to him and you know he was one of the people that was like oh there's no research for BII and I said to him oh well how many explants have you done and he was like oh you know like 60 and I said, oh, and have the women felt better after their explant? And he said, oh, yeah, 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 80% of them felt better. So I said, oh, and there's no research, just none at all. Mm. So anyway, we live and learn. and <laughs> We do. And you're self-advocating right there and then as well, you know, like it's not just taking on board what was being said, but kind of 
questioning back respectfully so to just challenge that a bit but yeah I'm really sorry that that was said to you but you had your breast surgeon your original breast surgeon that you went back to and she worked with you shared decision making informed decision making is that how you felt that relationship then went or um yeah she was great she was really happy to you know take out my implants and um do the flat closure and I was very specific because I know sometimes with flat closure sometimes surgeons can think potentially they will do what they think you want and I know you know sometimes excess skin can be left in case people change their mind or you know at times people are left with um the dog ears the excess skin kind of under their arm um so I was really in my informed consent form I was really specific like to the point of like OCD (laughs) I want photos I want this I want no excess skin I want a flat chest you know um and she was she was really great with that um Though I must say she did in one of our meetings, like I kept saying, I'll just get them out, I want flat, I want flat. And she said, oh, I can I can leave a, I can remove the implant and just leave a pocket for a few months if you want to decide and maybe you want to go elsewhere and, you know, you do the autologist, um, you know, recon with someone else. And mm. I was just like, no, thanks for the mm. option. Didn't need it. Yeah. No, <laughs> just go for yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I and I appreciate that, you know, surgeons should be giving us all different options. Just at that time, I was mm. like, no, no, I was very clear. <laughs> very clear. And, and the informed consent that you give uh, for anyone who's listening who may not be aware of that, that's something that you sign, isn't it, before surgery, which is given yeah. consent as to what procedure is taking place. But there is quite a few lines on there because I... I had a surgery and I was very specific in mine. Well. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but it's both of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's informed consent. And actually, with regards to that, there is, um, and we can put it in the episode notes, there are some really good and great guidelines out there with regards to informed consent, isn't there? And um, particularly, you know, I think it's interesting, especially we hear about aesthetic flat closure that anecdotally I've heard of women saying exactly what you've said that they didn't get what they asked for so let's talk about that term aesthetic flat closure so it was adopted in 2020 by the National Cancer Institute in America and it defines AFC aesthetic flat closure as a type of surgery that is done to rebuild the shape of the chest wall after one of both breasts are removed An aesthetic flat closure may also be done after removal of a breast implant, like yourself, that was used to restore breast shape. And he goes on to say that during an aesthetic flat closure, extra skin, fat and other tissue in the breast area are removed and the remaining tissue is then tightened and smoothed out so that the chest wall appears flat. So that's the definition that the NCI in America have adopted and uh, put into they, they have like a dictionary of terms don't they uh, in in 2020 um, and it was really great it was such a success to see that and I know um, we've been talking about aesthetic flat closure for a while I mean I hosted the live Q&A on Pink Hope's account with a breast surgeon um, as part of the Breast Recon 101 series and what I found interesting Robin is when I was planning that I spoke to some some of the surgeons and and the term aesthetic flat closure at that time was was new to them. And it wasn't that the procedure was new, mm. they were practicing it, but um it the actual term wasn't anything that they were particularly 
familiar with, but I know now it's becoming more visible, more talked about. It features in campaigns and it's forming part of the narrative, talking about informed decision making. And that's, you know, quite rightly. And I think that's largely down to advocates like yourself and the work that you're doing and not putting on a shirt in America and all the other amazing advocates around the world who are doing the work to raise awareness of this. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to take credit, <laughs> but it's definitely those um, oh, trailblazers over in America that are, you know, doing all the work and, and raising the awareness. Yeah. And I guess I'm just trying to, I look at what they, they're doing and I think, oh, yep, let's get a bit of that happening here in Australia. Yeah, and I, I can see that happening most definitely over the last 18 to 24 months that that's really coming through Um in, in the work that you're doing and what else I see out there with other organizations. And I think that's just fabulous because it's about having this, you know, all options are valid yeah. and it's all about individualized recon, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even you including flat in, in this podcast, I think is fantastic. You know, you it's all, it's all equal. We talk about everything. Let's put it all on the yeah. table and yeah. you can all just make the decision that you want based on your circumstances and the information that's all there yeah for you and I think what's interesting as well and so actually powerful about your story is that it's also if you've made a decision that you then want to change for whatever reason then that is also valid that you can say this isn't working for me Mm. for whatever reason and I'm going to make a change out yeah yeah and sometimes I think ah like sometimes I think oh thanks thanks implants for not working for me so that I just you know, I can go flat and know how great and easy it is to be flat. Mm. You know, mm. with implants, I I um, found them quite kind of cold, I guess. I, I'm, mm. I'm a cold fish. Ironic that I'm in Canberra. But, <laughs> and, and and I kind of never really felt like they were part of me and you couldn't feel them. And But now, like, when I hug my kids, my partner, I can, I can feel it all. And it's... Mm took me going through that and removing them to just be able to go, you know what, this is, this is okay. This is great for me. And I I actually wish I had made this decision initially and not gone with Mm. implants. Yeah. And gone, and gone to, to flat and flat as a straight initial option is an absolutely valid option to have. Absolutely. Yeah. You've taken a different path, but others go straight to flats yeah. as well. And so is that what's driving what's driving you to be this passionate, amazing advocate that you are for aesthetic flat closure? Yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess it's a good question. I I do think back to the guy that, you know, the surgeon that said to me the aesthetically unpleasing thing. And I think, do you know what? I don't want that to happen to anyone else. So mm. if, you know, if I can walk around and be flat and, and confident confident and, and comfortable and do my job, be a mum, be mm. have a great life, then if other people can see that and if I'm modeling that behaviour, you know, you can't you can't be what you can't see. And I don't know, I feel like there's there's heaps of flat people out there. And when I look at the mm. when I look at the stats and you think, so twenty thousand people in Australia or over twenty thousand people are going to be diagnosed with breast cancer every year. of those are going to have a mastectomy because that's what the Cancer Australia website or that's what the research said a little while ago. So that's 8,000 people. Mm. And the recon rate at the moment is, well, in 2019, it was 29%. So that means 70% of that 8,000 people are not going to reconstruct. 
So that's like 5,000. I'm going to pretend this is off the top of my head, but it's not. I've worked it out. 5,600 people who every year don't reconstruct after a mastectomy. And I feel like we Mm. can do better for that community. Mm. And I feel like, Mm. why aren't there flat brochures? I got my reconstruction and my implant brochure that, you know, I'm sure there's a a Diet brochure. I'm sure there's a tram flap brochure. Why isn't there a brochure that tells me where all my scars are and what my, you know, the pros and cons of going flat, the pros and cons of having implants. I guess, yeah, I just, I feel like there's so many people in the community. Why aren't we supported just like the recon patients yeah. are? Because they're yeah. both equally valid options and, and there's more people in the flat population by the stats. So, yeah. I think it's really interesting. I think the report that you're referring to there, I know that they did acknowledge that there were some sort of gaps in their data because of the way data's collected. But I'd be really interested to, you know, to understand those figures more and to get those those mind through a bit more to understand, like you said, you know, what options were given to people? Um, were they given all options at the time of diagnosis? Yeah. Um, because you referred there to, you know, there's uh, maybe leaflets that are given for certain um, reconstructions. I mean, I wasn't given a leaflet at the time for <laughs> what I found. <laughs> it was what was online sorry sorry to just just burst that bubble now that was a few years ago so things may have changed but I think to your point about the options and all options being laid out you know I did have a conversation with with one surgeon and here now we're talking about framing bias you know Mm. how you may be given the option but how is it framed and you know for flat for me it was oh you you don't want to do that because then whenever you go swimming, your prosthesis will pop out of your bathers. So, I mean, I guess there's a, a few things there. There's one, it's kind of assuming I have the prosthesis, which I'm, I may not, you know, might be flat and you don't have to wear a prosthesis, but also that kind of, it's a bit of a bother, you know, and I, I mean, flat wasn't the choice that, that I made, but equally it was, there was some bias framing when I had my initial consult. Mm. And, I mean, you won't be surprised to hear that <laughs> we hear that all the time. Mm. Um, you know, those those just little subtle subtle words. And um, before, mm. you know, we were going to talk today, I had a look at some of my least favourite wording on a couple of websites. And if, if you don't mind, I'd love to read a couple. Um, I'd love to. And these yeah, are from um, Australian government websites and, and hospital websites. So... So are these talking about, what are they talking about reconstruction options? Is that what these pages are? Yeah, so they're either talking about reconstruction or what happens after a mastectomy. So so this is, excuse while I read it, but it says, other women are content with their altered appearance and decide not to wear a prosthesis nor have a reconstruction. Mm. It's not all that friendly to the flat. Um, another website, not all women have reconstructive surgery after mastectomy. Some choose to wear a synthetic breast called a breast prosthesis. There's no Mm. mention of, and some are just very happy being flat. And then the last one, this is a question on the website and it says, what happens after a mastectomy? And the answer is a soft temporary external breast prosthesis can be worn while wounds are healing. And then it goes on to talk about getting a more, Mm. um, formal prosthetic, so you talk about subtle, you know, wording and framing of things. Mm-hmm. And I would love for, for wording like this to just be improved. Yeah. yeah. Because there's an assumption there that if there's no reconstructed breast mound, there is an external, there is some prosthetic, yeah. some form of mound being yeah. um, 
being being worn um and not accepting flat whether that's both flat or uniboob which is you can have uh be flat on one side can't you like um, the character in in the simpsons (gasps) i've forgotten her name Dr. Sage, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think, you know, words are words are powerful. You know, we, we have talked a lot about Dieppe reconstruction, which is the autologous reconstruction where the tissue is taken from the tummy to use the, uh, to reconstruct a breast, rather, which is what I had. And it's interesting, you know, that's always described as the gold standard. And I think it may be, but these these terms do have a bias to them I feel for some you know I, I remember I heard that I was like oh yeah I want that one yeah. <laughs> like, I like that's the gold yeah. I want the gold um and that was before I fully understood yeah what was entailed and when it was explained to me it was like oh well actually that does that is what I want yeah yeah but it is what I want but um but initially it was just because I was like oh yeah the gold standard give me that yes. um without really doing the pros and cons which is 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 what we do need to have for all of these options because you know like you said the pro for you you know like mm. feeling your kids when you love them and you hug them mm. yep that's right and that's I think beautiful. you know gold standard for me is different to gold standard yeah, for you or exactly. to a, someone yeah. that lives on a rural on the farm or can't afford to have a bigger Absolutely. surgery or, you know yeah yeah so it's interesting to 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 see how the wording is being presented there um and I wanted to read something to you if I could because it was as I was researching this podcast um I came across a paper that was published in 2022 called not just a linear closure aesthetic flat closure after mastectomy and um I think it's hopefully demonstrating that things are opening up in the um a surgical world mm. as well or there is some some prompts there to happen um but also in what women want and what they're choosing um so to quote this paper they're saying that currently there is an increasing trend in women seeking aesthetic flat closure after mastectomy to date and bearing in mind this is an american paper to date there is no plastic surgery literature on specific techniques to achieve an aesthetic flat closure after mastectomy and the conclusion of that paper was that with the increasing demand for flat closures after mastectomy, plastic surgeons need to be keen on employing modified surgical techniques to best optimise the desired aesthetic flat closure reconstructions for these patients, as these reconstructions are not simply linear closures. Mm, huge. Yes, definitely. And again, that's coming down to the personalised uh outcomes isn't it for patients and it made me think of and I think it's on not putting on a shirt not putting on a shirt I've got a graphic that shows the different types of closures so cool yeah yeah yeah, that it's not just not just linear Mm -hmm. and um I remember talking to Dr Kylie Snook on the Pink Hope um Instagram live that I hosted for the Breast Recon 101 and she talked about how some of her patients made choices around the type of scars because you know, one was a bit more curved to it. So it looked like a happy scar, <laughs> you know, like those, di- yeah. <laughs> those different reasons for that. But I thought it was great to see that that kind of was opening up. Yeah. And I know, I know, um, you know, where you live sadly has an impact on what kind of access to reconstruction or, or, or surgeries that you have. And mm. I think that sucks, but in the perfect world, mm. which we're probably never going to be in, right? I would love it if just, yeah, all of these options were equally talked mm. about and put on the table and 
Mm. I wish there weren't access issues and Mm. yeah it it really does it it sucks I don't know how else to put it (laughs) but Mm. and I think that's what's interesting when you think of the the statistic that you quoted there as well it's that's where I really like is is the choice to not have reconstruction a choice or Mm. it's it's what's available on the option what's available and access and yeah there are challenges to access to information to make the decisions but there's also challenges with access to the reconstruction yeah and I procedures I think you know I I do I want to acknowledge how privileged we are to even be able to make these choices Mm. you know Mm. whether and you know I guess this is coming might be coming across as I'm complaining about being offered a recon but I don't know and I'm really so grateful to have had the choice yeah but yeah yeah no, not at all. And I think it's important that we share these stories. And I think we're all giving, can you give generously, you know, your experience out there to, to help others. And I think acknowledging those challenges that do happen here in Australia, I think that's really important because, as you mentioned, there's been amazing work, the trailblazing work that's been happening in America. But we do have our own specific challenges mm. that here in Australia and that's why I love to see the work that you're doing and this is my segue into the Facebook group (laughs) could you tell (laughs) because you've um, set up a Facebook group haven't you to support well you tell us what the Facebook Uh, group is about um yeah I guess um a friend of mine another flatty friend of mine Pascal who um you know is very um active and engaged about her experience and we kind of had similar experiences with the mastectomies and and implants and then flat and loving it um we kind of saw what was happening in the U.S. as per usual they were trailblazing (laughs) and just you know um looked at that and thought oh we really want to create something in Australia where it's you know it's a group but it really is just for Australian people who potentially want to meet up like actually Mm. meet in human IRL you know (laughs) So we created this group, um, Flat Life Australia, back in March, and it's got 426 people in it now. Yeah, it's, it's had huge growth um, and just a, lo- a lovely bunch of women who mm. just get in, share stuff. I've had this, I've done that, and everyone's really supportive and nice. And, mm. you know, obviously there's people that are going through tricky times as well and are asking mm. for advice about particular things related to being flat. Um, but it's been such a... It's just been really nice, really nice community, yeah. and we've caught up a couple of times. Like, oh, and even yeah. you came to the the Flatties catch up in Melbourne because you're a supporter. I did. I was honoured. Yeah, <laughs> I was honoured to be invited, and I yeah, I met met people from the group, and yeah, I just it's community, isn't it? Yeah. Because we have we do have overlapping experiences, but we have some experiences that are specific as well to what treatment path or what surgical path we're taking, and. Yeah, I love that you're creating that community and that it's coming together like that. And it's not just those that have had um, the surgery mm. and mastectomy, is it, Robin? Is it, pe- you know, no, you've got the, people who yep, are considering? People that are considering, um, uni boobers, supporters. You know, if you're someone that's supporting someone that's going flat or looking at flat, we'll welcome you with right. open arms. And I yeah. think, um, you know, kind of maybe going back a little bit about to the way people talk, Um you know, when we're reading this kind of information online and see these websites that probably don't paint flat in the 
most fabulous way, like I think mm. you're really vulnerable, right? You're, you're mm. reading this information when you're at the most vulnerable, you know, decision-making time in your life. Mm. And I love the idea that there's a community who will go, oh, you've just read that stuff online. Oh, by the way, you know, we'll be open about our experience and tell you all about it and, and help mm. you in your time when you, mm. yeah, when you're reading that stuff yeah. that's maybe a bit challenging. Yeah, it is. And and I think as well, if it's, it's, it's overwhelming when you're making those decisions and it's challenging. And then if you've arrived and landed on your decision and then you read something that then starts to just undermine or pick away at it, it's like really unsettles you. And it's almost, yeah, it becomes a bit rocky what you thought was a firm decision foundation. Yes. And then some words can undermine that. They are. Words are powerful, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So now that's the Facebook group that you you're you're you've got, and that's the your community which I love, and the work that you're doing to raise that. And I actually love as well that you've got supporters of people who um who may be going flat in there. I was chatting to somebody the other day, and they said that that you know that trying to help their partner understand some of the terminology or yeah. what's involved was really important part of their of their surgery. Um, but you're also working in the research area aren't you as well so as you said you're a data nerd I am and you like your research but you're doing some really amazing work that's you know really starting to understand the experience the lived experience for those who are flat in Australia do you want to tell us a little bit more about that yeah well so through kind of you know my whole experience I was thinking where's all the research where's all the data about the flatties out there like why why can't I find it and you know you'd find little tidbits of information about oh and these people went flat or you know it's all about recon recon and oh by the way there's this group as well so um a couple of my flatty advocate friends kind of got together um we were introduced through you know through various means it was actually a researcher that introduced a couple of us and um we just haven't looked back since then we were like right what are we going to do to improve the resources the information and support for the flat community Mm. and we were like well you can't really drive change or advocate for a community if you don't know much about them and who's there so we were like okay great let's start with some data so yeah basically we launched on international flat day back in october um some research it's mostly qualitative data so Mm -hmm. you know about people's experiences there's obviously a bit of quantitative data Mm -hmm. um and we're looking to get feedback from any woman people that identify as a woman that, that have breasts um who have undertaken a mastectomy, either bilateral or um, unilateral, um, mm-hmm. and have chosen to go flat afterwards. So, yeah, we're really looking at those that lived experience. Um, yeah. How, how you did it, when you did it, was it private, was it public? Um, what was mm-hmm. the support from the healthcare um, system? How was your family and friends? Um, where did you find your information? And, um, you know, what was good? What was challenging? So... We're really looking to identify those gaps in the services and support and resources so that we can advocate for this community, so that we can say this is what we've found out. And what's so exciting is um, we've had over 200 responses to the survey already, which is, you know, the lady that we're working with from Flinders Uni, she's just like, oh, my gosh, my mind is blown. Mm -hmm. So it really Mm -hmm. kind of shows that there is a need there and people, it's an engaged group and people want to 
you know, contribute to this important work. And and then, you know, 80 of those people have said, yeah, we'll be part of the focus group. So, you know, we're running focus groups as well as a survey, which is it's so generous of people and we're so excited to be Mm. doing it. And I just feel really privileged to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of informed advocacy, isn't it? (laughs) You know, we talk about informed decision-making, but it's informed advocacy, which, you know, can be absolutely qualitative qualitative rather especially when we're talking about quality of of life and experience as well um we actually and you're doing that with oh sorry I was just gonna say we actually had a gentleman a guy reach out to us um saying you know I'm I'm flat I love what you're doing um can I be part of it and we were like oh Mm -hmm. gosh we just and we initially did think oh should we be involving men in this as well and Oh, for whatever reason, it was like, oh, that's a bit hard. Like, let's tackle that one kind of next. Um, mm. But he was so great. So he'd had one, um, breast cancer on one side. He'd had a mastectomy and he said, I wasn't offered anything. He goes, I wasn't offered flat. I wasn't offered recon. So he's got, you know, that classic picture that you see where it kind of, I want to say it looks a little bit like a knuckle where it's, you know, his, mm-hmm. his breast is in in a little bit. And, you know, mm. I felt for him because obviously he's yeah. a guy. So he and wasn't offered went, anything. Nothing. And so, you know, I think there are groups that from this will do this research and then go, right, where are the groups within our group? Who are we missing? Mm. You know, who else do we need to talk to? Mm. Yeah, I think it's amazing work that you're doing. And, I, you know, and to be doing it with Flinders as well, you know, yeah. that's phenomenal. So that's so congratulations on that. And, yeah, starting to, yeah, like unpick it, un- open it up to, um, you know, you've, you've got the community there you've got anecdotal information coming through and you've got this research that's coming through and that's where you know thinking about the paper that I just referred to the 2022 paper there that's you know it's starting to get the research out there and published isn't it where we're going to see change I think Mm. as well it comes from all angles yeah and I think people listen listen more if you've got data and I'm absolutely not saying that just because it's anecdotal it's not happening because we 100% know it is (laughs) Mm. but you can walk into, you know, those professional conferences and go, hmm. this is the evidence-based information that we have. Please listen to yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Collected through structured um, yeah. research. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I just think that's that's fabulous. So um, what we will do is we will signpost to the link to that survey and the link to the Facebook group in the episode notes for this um but it's been wonderful talking to you Robin I really love everything that you're that you're doing I always loved everything you were doing for Pink Hope anyway and then when you just like really started to get into more in the last two years or so I just think it's been phenomenal um you can't do it without a village of supporters Luan yeah yeah I, and I love that and I think we're all you know so much stronger together aren't we when we are collaborating and amplifying each other's work and messaging yeah, absolutely so thank you so much, my lovely. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners or say about about anything, whether it's um, about the work that you do do for Pink Hope or whether it's about the aesthetic closure advocacy work that you do? Mm. Um, I don't know. I just think no, no matter what you're advocating for, I think, you know, sometimes I get up and go, oh, it's just, there's, nothing's changed or, oh, there's more stuff that I've seen written and, oh, that's terrible. 
but I think one one small piece, a little piece of a puzzle, I'll just put that that in there and then I put that in, that side in there and then another piece and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a larger change and, you know, even mm. talking a couple of weeks ago when there was some stuff about the flat study and in, in, um, there was an ABC story about it, which was really exciting and, you know, obviously mm. Breast Search ANZ were involved and there was talk even about a... Um, position statement for aesthetic flat closure and you know that's really exciting that's just a little change um and you know a few of those little changes website wording changes kind of create a bigger change and I'm really excited to be part of that and kind of advocating for it and you know if anyone wants to reach out and obviously you know they can reach you and then they can reach me through you just yeah well I was going to ask that and I think you're absolutely right you know it's these you know, whether it's language changes that, that just in inverted commas seems like a simple thing, you know, it isn't. And it's those incremental changes that just really move us forward in, in lots of different ways, because, yeah, we can have that lighthouse on the hill that we aim for, that, that you're aiming for. So I was going to ask that then if like so if anybody who's the author or has any kind of um, influence on wording on some of those websites that you talked about, and they want some support around what to write on there. Who? How do they get hold of you? Oh, great question. They can always um, always contact me through Pink Hope. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, or drop me a like you say, drop me a message, yeah. and I'll I I will happily connect you with Robin. And let's look at uh, yeah, starting just with how we talk about flat closure being a absolutely valid and celebrated option as part of reconstruction after mastectomy. Yeah, and I just can't thank you enough for, you know, including flat on, on your menu, on your agenda. It's, it's you're doing the right thing. You're uh, looking at all the options, you're informing people, you're talking about it. And, you know, that's just another little piece of the puzzle. Little piece, I'm a teeny tiny piece, but thank you so much. And thank you. I feel like I was so honoured when I was invited to the, the Flatties. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was wonderful. I just love, I just love seeing what you're doing. And um, yeah, the, the passion that is behind that, and, you know, but sadly that's often driven by awful experiences, but mm. I think we're on a similar kind of like, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather do this work so that it doesn't happen to somebody else in the future yeah absolutely just um pave the way make it just a little bit better for other people and yeah that's what we can kind of hope for that's what we can do until until we um have a cure for this disease or the um yeah Yeah, that's right the risk of it so thank you so much again my lovely it's been wonderful to talk to you i really i always love talking to you (laughs) is there any excuse (laughs) um but before we wrap up, um, as you know, I ask guests to share a lyric or a poem with listeners, um, maybe something that's important and personal to them or their experience, or maybe the topic that we've been talking about. So, Robin, what would you like to share with listeners today? Uh, yes, well, I quite like this song. Um, it's called Follow the Sun by Xavier Rudd. Um, and there's this little section in it, which I'll read out. I'm not going to sing it because that would ruin this podcast. It says, and if you are, so it goes, breathe, breathe in the air, set your intentions, dream with care. Tomorrow's a new day for everyone, a brand new moon, a brand new sun. And I really like that. Um, it's got a very nice tune as well. But mm. 
it gets back to the basics uh, creates calm for me and it kind of reminds mm. me that I can control my intentions and, and what I think and I can frame things. So mm. it's like that reminder. Yeah, it's a beautiful reminder, isn't it? And breathe always seems like a really simple concept, <laughs> but, especially, but especially when trauma is happening or, you know, big life events are happening, we can kind of hunch up and I think one breath at a time can be sometimes the only way you get through. Yeah. It's beautiful, Robin. Mm. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Thanks again, Robin, for joining us today and, yeah, so openly sharing your story and sharing a story of a, um, you know, a changed decision as well. Obviously, that was prompted by the symptoms that you were experienced through having your implants. But I think, I think it takes so much courage. I really do to go. Oh, hang on! I'm going to question this massive decision that I made, yeah. and I'm going to look at alternatives. And the alternative that I'm looking at is something that I've been told will be aesthetically unpleasing. And I think your advocacy to do that, I really, I really admire. And thank you so much for sharing that today. And thank you for you know taking that and using that as your 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 energy, your motivation for all the amazing advocacy work that you do. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. You're so welcome, my darling. Mm. So thanks everybody for listening. As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do rate, share, like, review, comment, all those things. Um, it's not just about us feeling loved, <laughs> but if you do that, it increases the rating on the podcast in all those platforms, which is Spotify, Apple, Google, Samsung. Um, and it means that the podcast is more discoverable by other people who are considering reconstruction after a mastectomy. And you can also find the podcast at luanlauriewoods.com.au. All the episodes are listed in on there. So thanks, everybody. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.